I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You have the video editing skills, so between the two of us, you're more poised for I'm literally TikTok a professional canon. video editor, and I'm like, I can't figure out how to make a video on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> it's different. Yeah. I'm going to edit. How about this? I'll edit my videos on Premiere on Adobe. <laughs> I'll upload them <laughs> to... Okay, boomer. <laughs> okay. Okay, boomer to you. <laughs> because you're older. Oh, uh, no. I'm ducking out. You're ducking out. Let's duck out together. See what it's all about. Ducking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that manages to put out episodes every week, no matter how many TikTok holes it falls into. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are Diking Out with Rachel Rapino about equity. What does that mean? Why is that name so familiar? Well, we'll get into that in a moment. A couple of quick announcements. Thank you to everybody who has joined Patreon. We had a few more people sign up this week. Keep them coming. If you meant to do it and didn't, you know, you can hit pause right now. Go to patreon.com slash checking out. We have extra content and cool stuff going on there, and it really helps keep the podcast running. It does so much for us. Also, we mentioned that 
we're looking into doing other Zoom shows and maybe we'll put out like a formal poll on Instagram. So make sure you're following us at Diking Out on Instagram about what kind of Zoom shows you want. So we can do more comedy shows like the Priding Out show, you know, have comedians, have a musical guest. That seemed to work. That was a lot of fun. We could also try to figure out speed dating or speed friending. Speed friending. Speed friending. We got one person say yes to speed friending, but we all know what that's code for. Fingering. No, it's just, <laughs> just speed friending and maybe it leads to something more down the line. We still have to figure out how we could pull that off over Zoom and whether or not that's possible. Another thing that came up on a recording that will come out next week, but what if we did some type of diking out fest on Zoom that was just all of our past musical guests? Would you be into that? I would be into that. Yes. I would love I, that. I would be into that. Maybe I'll do it just for me. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell, it'll be like a fire fest. I'm going to be like, so many tickets sold, guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thanks for performing. And it's just me and Cecilia in our living room watching all my favorite people play music. But I think people would be interested. So, yeah, we have to do these, these Zoom shows because coronavirus is not going anywhere. America. Jesus. I would say it's back, but it never left. But we're calling it a second wave, even though did the first one ever end? No, no. This isn't a second wave. This is the first wave. This is like when you're at a baseball game and people try to get the wave going the first time and like only half the people catch on. And then like the next round, it's like, whoa, now that's a wave. Oh, this is just like baseball in that it is lasting too long and I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) so much i hate it ah yes yes <laughs> and it's white men who are making it worse i don't know yeah <laughs> is that a baseball oh. thing? actually i could i could draw so many more comparisons if i had time yeah and it's also just not time. white men white women a lot of <laughs> oh boy people refusing to wear their masks i don't know if they're just only filming the white women and no one's filming the men who refuse or if the women are just really being extra but i saw the one of the older woman in costco who just sits down in the costco oh i didn't see that and the employee is being so patient with her and so kind and then of course the trader joe's one who yells that she has a breathing problem while screaming at the top of her lungs i saw one of an older man trying to enter a supermarket and not being allowed in and the security guard knocked him to his feet (laughs) it was beautiful oh i like that (laughs) i saw another one of someone trying to enter a supermarket and these poor employees who have been through so much are having to like physically try to block these people and putting them in such a bad and an unsafe condition and i don't know and then like yelling about their constitutional rights i'm like this is not a constitutional right like nobody (laughs) i know i hate to say it but maybe if trump put out like make america great again face masks we could get this a little more under control yeah you think that (laughs) like you do realize (laughs) that yeah just make them get excited about you know the messaging that they could sport they love the hats just cover your face you know i don't want to see your face i don't want to see that logo but at least i know that 
the germs are contained a little more. I don't know. That, that is against his merch. Uh, he's the one who put out the plastic straws when people were banning plastic straws. He was like, here's Trump plastic straws just to own us libs. I'm, I'm almost too owned these days. Stop owning me. Conservatives, yeah. yeah, we can't, we can't leave New York. It's so hard. Everyone's trying to get out of the city, and then like the rental stock of places to, you know, take trips to, like that's gone down because everybody who rents their places on Airbnb, they're like living in those places now, right? All their second homes mm. and everything. Melody and I are both trying to get out of New York City, and <laughs> it's proving to be a lot more difficult. Than- well, we just realized we have the same anniversary weekend, so we're both trying to find some place to get away to, drive to for the weekend. I know. But the hard thing is everything just changes week to week that, you know, Maine just said that New Yorkers can come because they, they've been suffering in, like, the tourism department. Whatever rules they have in place this week might change next week, so... You know, we're just trapped here. Melody, you've been on TikTok. I've been on TikTok. Man, oh man. I'm looking at my sleep stats on my Fitbit and <laughs> I got back on TikTok this last week and I'm not sleeping. I'm scrolling through lesbian TikTok, looking at these teens coming out so easy in such a fun, creative way. The New York Times put out an article this last week called For Lesbians, TikTok is, quote, the next Tinder. That's how big lesbian TikTok is getting. Young women feeling alienated by dating apps and bar culture are finding love on their For You pages. Can you be alienated by bar culture when you're not old enough to go to a bar? Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Well, also, I'm like, but you don't get to pick based on location on TikTok, right? So, but because you can't really be out going on dates, at least you shouldn't be. Please (laughs) stop spreading coronavirus, young people. (laughs) So I guess that doesn't matter. No, location doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it never mattered to these lesbian TikTokers who are finding love on there. I'm seeing a lot of international relationships. Some like big lesbian influencer TikTok creators are meeting at conventions for creators if they do meet but a lot of the courting and communicating is happening on tiktok or moving to facetime but that's how they initially meet it's so cute there's little creative ways that you can kind of signal your sexuality in the first place if you're not trying to like overtly date on it but kind of come out so there's this one song that's really popular right now that has a corresponding dance to it. Not just lesbian TikTok, but all the kids are doing it. And in the chorus, the guy's rapping and he's like, tells me she likes boys and girls. And that's just a way a lot of them are signaling that they're bi, which I love. And then there's the superstar TikTokers who are doing the dance. And now a lot of them are like, oh my God, are they bi? So that they're having to bravely come out as straight (laughs) because they're like, no, no, I just wanted to do the dance. Um, (laughs) What I love is I had no idea there's a popular phrase that's going around in the comment section of these TikToks. Little lesbians, little baby gays are saying to each other. Are you a Susan? Do you listen? No. (laughs) Close. Close, okay. So close. Okay. And not for long. They're saying... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are you a Susan June? No. They are saying, do you listen 
to Girl in Red, who I had no idea existed. Me neither, but now I do. We were just listening before we started recording. That's how we get amped up for these. <laughs> yeah, we listened to youth lesbian music. And it's so cute. The music videos are so gay. It's about falling in love with a girl in the fall. It's like a popular backdrop soundtrack they're putting to their videos to signal that they are lesbians. But, you know, to ask, do you listen to Girl in Red is the Gen Z, are you a friend of Dorothy? Which is amazing. Yeah. I always thought it was, are you a friend of Judy? I thought it was, are but, you a friend of Judy too? But I guess there might have been different versions. And for anyone who's like, what the hell are they talking about? That used to, the term either friend of Dorothy or friend of Judy used to be something that people asked each other referring to either Judy Garland or her character, Dorothy Gale yes. in The Wizard of Oz, who was queer ally at the time. And that was mm -hmm. how you would know. This much I know is true. Yeah. This I can speak on. <laughs> As I stumble through talking about TikTok, this much I know is true in The Road to Oz, the sequel to the first novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. The book introduces readers to Polychrome. Who, yes, I am reading from the Wikipedia right now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Wait, I didn't even know about this. I was so convinced it was Are You a Friend of Judy this whole time. Yeah. But the Wikipedia article title is Friend of Dorothy. Okay. And it says, the book introduces readers to Polychrome, who upon meeting Dorothy's traveling companions, exclaims, you have some queer friends, Dorothy. And she replies, the queerness doesn't matter so long as they're friends. Which oh, is... Oh, you know, that does sound familiar. Yeah. I think maybe we might be confused because gay men were also called Judy's or would call each other Judy's. Yeah. So I think I just assumed it was interchangeable. And then I mentioned to you about how I thought that it used to, for, for lesbians, you would say you were Lebanese or ask someone if they were Lebanese based yeah. on the famed interaction between Ellen DeGeneres and Rosie O'Donnell, which is still one of my favorite clips on TV. <laughs> it is so... Had you seen that before? I sent that to you. I remember it, but I don't remember like because I used to watch that after school or I don't know if yeah. I like saw it or if I saw it in like a VH1 like 90s thing, you know, like. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I've seen it on one of those shows before because it was at the time the audience is just laughing along thinking Ellen is just making some silly joke. And it was, I think, five years before Rosie came out and they're obviously talking about her being a lesbian and Rosie's like, oh, I eat baba ganoush sometimes. Maybe I'm Lebanese. And Ellen's <laughs> like, I always kind of had a feeling you were. I, I'm able to tell that in people. And it's... And it's so fun. And like for Rosie not to like really be out until five years later yeah. when that part I didn't know until we talked about this. The yeah, other day, yeah, that she wasn't Rosie out was yet. still not out when when they're joking about being Lebanese. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe maybe she was to I mean, obviously she was in her in her personal life and anybody who knew her and in, in the industry. But I remember like my grandmother was shocked. She was like, well, then what's all this stuff about Tom Cruise? You know, <laughs> she felt real Nuts. misled by that. Uh, so, yeah, uh. you guys have TikTok. We had the Rosie show. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just I know for those of you who do not understand my feelings for Rosie O'Donnell just imagine that she is my TikTok that's, yes. that's how I learned about what Broadway musicals were going on that introduced Harry Potter to the US and made we'll her, get to that later we'll, we'll get to that later I can't wait one day to have her on this podcast and tell her she's my TikTok and have her be like what but she's on TikTok so but still that's confusing all right. Yeah. I well, here's what's cool about TikTok. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> we have Take to me, sound talk so me. old. I can't. Here's what's very cool about this TikTok. I I know our Gen Z listeners are rolling their eyes at me. Whatever. I'm I'm figuring it out. Unlike any other social media platform where you get to curate your own homepage, on TikTok they have the for you page. And they use a artificial intelligence to take what you're looking at and very quickly adapt your feed to what you might be interested in looking at. It is the default screen. You can switch over to a screen, which is exclusively accounts that you follow, but you forget it's there. Really? Well, it's like the, the Instagram Explorer page, right? Yeah. Okay. But no one really... Do you go on that? I don't know. Oh, sometimes they bait I, I go on it on our Diking Out account, yeah. actually, because it is the gayest, and yes. that is all <laughs> you're doing. Our Diking <laughs> Out Explore page baits me all the time because it'll be like to... It's all travel lesbians. Yeah. Well, it's travel lesbians, and then it'll be like Janelle Monet kissing a woman or something. I'm like, what I miss? what I miss? <laughs> like, yeah, so that's kind of what the For You page is, but... I must have liked one lesbian video. And then suddenly I have 20-year-old TikTok lesbian influencers all up in my feed, and I don't hate it. They're very funny. There's one. She goes by Avery Cyrus. I think her real name is Avery Blanchard. So cool. Like, they're... <laughs> How do you know her real name? They're, they're so cool because she was in... The <laughs> so cool, guys. Avery... Uh, did, because they named did you find her okay, yearbook fine. Don't, don't, don't put her name yeah. <laughs> I called her mother and said you know what we're around the same age right you've raised a wonderful young lady <laughs> no, they, her full name was in the New York Times article Okay, and this is where I started to feel creepy because I was like do I have a crush on this 20 year old no it's just that I'm so impressed by them I think they're so cool they're living their best lives they're just tie dyeing they're you know exploring their interests outside of lesbian culture they're just so unabashedly them and I think I'm just jealous that I it took me me a whole other decade to get to where they seem to be and yeah. their comfort with themselves, you know? And she is another one of the TikTokers who met her partner, another lesbian TikTok influencer on the app, and now they're a lesbian couple. And it just, I don't know, there's this weird feeling of jealousy and excitement that <laughs> I very much needed to like put my phone away eventually because I was like, do I have a crush? No, I don't. I'm so much old. <laughs> like, but I'm just, um, Excited. Have you come across Alison Pontier's TikTok? Yeah. Okay. From our baby gay episode. I still need to listen to that. Yeah. She's so sweet. I recognize her from Brooklyn queer alt comedy, but yeah, she's on there too. She shows up. There's like 10, the big players, and she is definitely one of them. Well, I'm pushing you to become number 11, <laughs> you know? 
I, I know I said I was going to figure it out. And I know. Between so the two of us, many you're... listeners found me on there, and it's just embarrassing now that this <laughs> one video of me doing the savage TikTok dance poorly <laughs> has so many eyes on it as the listeners check in to see if I've created anything. You have the video editing skills, so between the two of us, you're more poised for I've been literally TikTok a fandom. professional video editor, and I'm like, I can't figure out how to make a video on TikTok. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. I'm going to edit. How about this? I'll edit my videos on Premiere on Adobe. <laughs> I'll upload them <laughs> to. Okay, boomer. <laughs> okay. Okay, boomer to you. <laughs> because you're older. Uh, no, <laughs> because that's another thing I want to touch on with TikTok. The more I scrolled, I came across. This new phenomenon of Gen Z TikTokers absolutely shredding millennials. Yes. Have you seen this or like probably not on TikTok? I saw it probably, on Twitter. Have you read a Washington Post article yeah. about this, Carolyn? <laughs> that, have I seen it the... on CBS Sunday Morning? No. Yeah. I read it on Twitter. I'm I'm a little bit with it. And it's kind of funny. It's pretty funny. It's it's kind of accurate oh, how they're it's very reading accurate. us to filth. It's yes. TikTokers, it's Gen Z kids just reducing millennials to BuzzFeed quizzes and identifying as like what Harry Potter house. There's like several different my f- memes. My favorite one is about us obsessing over which Harry Potter house we're part of when none of us own a real house. I'm like, yes, that is. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. That's the best drag. I got a little butthurt at first, I will admit. And the more I watched, the funnier they became. Just like these like teenagers using the most tired of our vernacular. Like the, the adulting. Like just uh, making fun of us complaining about adulting and drinking rosé and just... Yeah, they've got it down. Um, but it's just funny that they're making fun of the next generation ahead of them. I feel like we don't really see that. Like, we were never making fun of Generation X, right? No, Gen X was I cool. thought they were so cool. Yeah. Like, you make fun of your parents' generation. So that at first I got a little hurt. <laughs> but they're just so funny. If we want, we can roast Gen X right now. Like, how's that lung cancer coming along? <laughs> Yeah, that's the only Reality thing I could... bites you in the ass on that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> For Gen Z, Reality Bites was the seminal film uh, <laughs> in the Gen X generation. With Janine Garofalo, who weirdly says she's not part of Gen X, but she is. She, what? Yeah. Really? No, she, she just says she's Gen X icon, but she's not technically Gen X. But she technically is. But who, who knows? Who's the authority on that? Who's the authority on Gen X? Everyone in Reality Bites. So I mean, I would think Janine Garofalo is, so I guess I have to yeah. trust her. But the other Gen X <laughs> smoker I know, everybody I know who is in Gen X is a smoker. <laughs> For real. Still? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. True, actually. Yeah. <laughs> just a drinking problem. And a smoking oh, addiction. They're, they're all sober at this point. They just smoke. <laughs> they all had their drinking problem. And then they're all sober oh, now. I'm thinking of my Chicago Gen Xers. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fair. This is New York Gen X. Just... <laughs> yeah, you can't uh, afford both vices. You can't. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. A pack of cigarettes in New York is, what, $16 now? At least. Yeah. Hey, Carolyn. Yeah. Were you gay this last week? What's the gayest thing you did? Last night, my wife and I watched 
Desert Hearts, which I had never seen before and had always felt really it. bad that I haven't seen this movie because it's always heralded as like this classic lesbian film. And oh my God. Break it down. Okay. There are a lot of people who love this movie. Why is it important? There are a lot of people who love this movie. It came out in 1985. That's probably why it was such a, a big deal. It came out in 85, but the story takes place in 1959. It's based on a book. So, you know, whenever a book gets made into a movie, they're trying to cram a lot into a shorter amount of time. Yeah. So the movie itself has a lot of these, like, George Lucas, like, side wipes for transitions. It's like a a dissolve wipe. And then the scenes just feel very abrupt. And things, you're just like, what? Why is that happening? And so there's Kay, who's this lesbian, and it happens in Reno. And she's, like, living at this ranch that puts up women who are trying to get a divorce because in Nevada you can get divorced faster than anywhere else. So they have to stay there for six weeks to have their divorce go through. And this professor from New York comes to get a divorce and the lesbian Kay is really attracted to the professor Vivian. But Kay works at this casino and she has this friend who's straight, but like greets her by kissing her on the mouth, like real hard and like straddling her. So that's confusing right off the bat because you're like, what, what is this relationship? And she knows she's a lesbian and she's still just like smooching. And then at one point they're in a bathtub together. They're just taking a bath, like, fully naked together <laughs> that's her, that's just her and the friend not even her and her love interest but then my problem is she's so aggressive with this professor that if it wasn't a lesbian and it were a man like you wouldn't be rooting for this at all like they're spoiler alert like there's one point where they're in a she goes to see her at a hotel room because she had to leave the ranch whatever and Vivian, the professor, is like, go, I don't want to see you. Yes, we kissed, but it was a fluke. I don't want to be with you, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes to, like, get a drink of whiskey or something and turns around and Kay is just, like, naked on her bed. <laughs> and, like, if a man did that, you'd be like, that's, like, predatory, like, entrapment, you know? If a guy just, like, disrobed after you told them to leave and yeah. was kind of in between you and the door. <laughs> like... That's- that's a lot of the stories like that started the whole me too movement right yeah and and then she's like please get dressed and she's like no like it the whole it's very problematic i don't know there it, there's no there's no enthusiastic consent and uh in 2020 i can't get past that i can't watch that and not feel highly uncomfortable about the whole thing. And then I feel like anybody who saw that would have thought like, yep, them predatory lesbians. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, because it was very predatory. Huh. Anyway, I mean, it was, it was very gay. And it was very gay for us to watch that together on, on a Thursday. But how about you, Melody? What's the gayest thing you did this week? <laughs> Spent the last week thinking about the gayest thing of the week before that I went on the record and said and thought, wow, 
Podcasts are permanent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Obsessing over past things you've said uh, is yeah. very gay. <laughs> <laughs> Last week's gayest thing, confession of Ali queefing in my mouth. Um, <laughs> that's what happens when we record uh, in the morning <laughs> before the horrors of reality set in. And I... You know, forget the permanent nature of podcasting, but <laughs> I, I love it. There's no shame in that. Uh, I feel like you're just trying to let me be the gay champion of the the week because I, I know there had to have been gayer things probably scrolling through TikTok. That was the gayest thing. I stayed up until 3.30, two nights in a row, um, <laughs> just looking at 20-year-old lesbians on TikTok. Also, Allie and I took care of our friend's baby one day this last week, and we were with the baby on Long Island, walking around in our Birkenstocks with this white baby that looks so much like Allie. <laughs> so, cr- so, it so really much does. like Allie. Yeah. You've seen this baby. Yeah. A lot of similar features. Same like crazy blue eyes. This is a beautiful baby. And I got my (laughs) my first taste of motherhood. Just what it's like to be out in the wild with a baby and someone who is clearly my partner. Yeah. Long Island isn't the liberal utopia that Brooklyn is. A lot of weird looks from people. (laughs) I felt like nervous being like out with Allie and this baby sometimes. Like, I felt, like, just not nervous. I'm like, oh, I'm so very visibly in a lesbian relationship now that this baby's here. There's no confusion that we could be, like, friends because we were very much, like, you know, like, hey, honey, do you want this? Like, when we, like, get food, you know, like, clearly a couple, and then we've got this baby. So I felt, like, simultaneously nervous and, like, exposed, but also protected by this white baby because the baby's (laughs) so cute, and everyone's just like, oh, my God, like, can I... You know, play with this baby. It was weird. I don't know. Obviously, so many moms listening to this everyday standard stuff for you. But (laughs) I got my first taste of it and it was cool. Uh, Years ago, I was very anti having a baby. Yeah. What's the temperature? Obviously, as I entered my 30s and see all my friends having babies, that changes. And then this day really just solidified I mean, you get to give the baby away at the end of the day, and I don't, that's not what it's like. I just took care of a baby for one day. Yeah. But it was fun, and it was cute, and the baby had little sandals, and we were wearing our Birkenstocks. I keep bringing up the Birkenstocks, but that really (laughs) solidified it as the gayest thing I did this last week. Yes. I love it. Uh, (laughs) Co-parent for a day. Let's get into our interview with (laughs) the truly lovely Rachel Rapino. So today we are diking out with pro soccer player, trainer, and coach Rachel Rapino, who is also the co-founder and CEO of Mendy, a CBD company focused on recovery. Rachel, welcome to Diking Out. Thank you, Carolyn and Melody. I appreciate you guys having me on your show. Quite the honor. Where are you based out of right now? I am based out of Portland, Oregon. Okay. I'm a West Coast girl. You're a lifer, right? Because that's where you're originally from? Well, I'm from Northern California, like okay. like the tippy top of Northern California, but it's still technically part of California. And then I've lived in SoCal. So I, I lived in California on and off for about 20 years. But yeah, I came to college up here. My sister and I did. And I'm just, I've been here on and off for like 14 years and I absolutely love it. So now I'm an Oregonian for sure. 
Yeah, it's a great city. Yeah, I love it. It's yeah. like the food mecca. If you love coffee, if you love wine, if you love beer, if you love craft cocktails, which all of those things I love. So I'm not going anywhere. Are you vegan? Heck no. I love okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it is great for vegans and It is great for vegans. Yeah, yes. my, my friends out there are vegans. So whenever I go, we hit all the vegan food hotspots. And it's, it is very impressive, the, the vegan food there. So yeah. I got to get back. I only went once for a festival. I need to get back. Oh, Portland's great. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it kind of like, I think a lot of people get scared of it because they hear about the gloom and the rain and it's not like that bad. You know I mean? There's like a few months where you got to get out once a month, someplace sunny, but it's totally worth it because the summers and the falls are incredible. Yeah, for sure. What's like the status in, in New York city right now? Are you guys still completely shut down? No, we've opened up uh, a little bit, but they were going to open restaurants, I think next week, indoor dining. And then they just stopped that because of what's happening in all the other states. Mm -hmm. But right now we're doing dining on the middle of the street. (laughs) They're shutting down (laughs) half of the street and setting up these little like bistro situations in a bike lane on like (laughs) very busy avenues. There's nothing appealing about eating with like an exhaust pipe in my face. (laughs) You're so close to traffic. It is insane. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Melody. I've never understood that in New York. Everybody's obsession with outdoor dining. I'm like, it is disgusting outside here. It was gross to begin with when you were on a sidewalk, but you're actually on the street next to cars now. Yeah. (laughs) They try to put like a velvet rope to make it look somewhat legitimate. It looks very silly, especially last week when we were at the queer liberation march in New York, it was like the contrast between avenues being shut down by people marching, but then like having to shimmy past all the people brunching directly on the streets we were marching on. It was a really bleak contrast. And yeah, I know I saw their food. Someone posted yesterday. I think it was something in, in New York. There was like a group of people outside dining and then like a block away, like this huge yes. Black Lives Matter, you know, march. And it was yeah. just like, we live in two different worlds. <laughs> yeah, saw that. That was the Queer Liberation March, which was, oh, was re-centered okay. to focus on Black Lives Matter and okay. Black Trans yeah. Lives Matter. Yeah, it was crazy. We were just with our megaphones right in their brunch situation. I know. Like, At least tip well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the new norm in Portland, because Portland is definitely not open yet. Some things are like, there's a lot of, you know, walk up takeout spots opening up, but nothing's really open to sit down, but we have so many parks here. I yeah. I could totally be wrong in this stat, but I thought I heard somewhere that we have like the most parks per capita than any other city. Mm, and so it. the new norm now, it, which is actually pretty cool, is like everyone's just kind of like going to the park, social distancing, but like picnicking in the park and like having your cocktails in the park with friends. So that's been actually kind of fun. It's it's like been so interesting to to reflect on how much time I wasted with just like busy stuff and, and meeting up with friends and like going to bars. And of course I'm saving more money because nothing's open. Oh yeah. But it's been cool. It's like a lot of people are just like hanging out in the park or, or like meeting up and going on walks. And we are lucky that way. Like there's, there is like a lot to do outside here. So that's, sorry, I'm kind of shitting on your guys' experience. Oh, <laughs> no, please. Must be nice. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to be a jerk. <laughs> no. It's okay. I mean, Mel- Melody lives right on a, a huge park in Brooklyn. I am spoiled. I'm right by Prospect Park. I'm like immersed in nature yeah. every day. I'm going on hiking trails. And I'm in Queens and there are no parks. There, there's like a 
private park in my neighborhood that you can only go to if you're like a homeowner, which is like three people. Uh, <laughs> like can't you're by a huge here. cemetery. Yeah, I'm by a big cemetery. They closed oh, the cemetery. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> too of many people <laughs> lounging and too the many cemetery. people trying to hang out in the cemetery. Also, yeah, while like everybody was dying, what a depressing thing that like the only place <laughs> you can go take a walk is a cemetery. But al- also, a lot of the like all the basketball courts and everything have been shut down because they don't want the people having like physical contact from. Yeah, they took the hoops. Yeah, they took the hoops off. Of Did they the really? Courts, yeah. yeah. They, like, actually took the rims off? I believe so. Yeah, too many kids were showing yeah. up and, like, jumping fences anyways to play. Oh, so yeah. they took the hoops I think the themselves. mayor said that you were allowed to play, like, horse or something. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, good luck. Good luck telling New Yorkers how to play basketball. <laughs> I know it's a tough situation because, like, when you're stressed and when you have anxiety, the best thing to do is to move. Yes, and So right. then to stop people from moving like yeah how are you supposed to deal with this you know right well movement has been a big part of your life uh yeah <laughs> segue <laughs> nice nice carolyn <laughs> this is your first rodeo professional <laughs> i'm trying uh, <laughs> so yeah tell us a little bit about how you got into sports in general in the first place and then eventually becoming a soccer player. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Movement is my life for sure. I mean, soccer undoubtedly has gotten me to where I am now and has given me like every opportunity in the world. It's, you know, play Matt, my sister and I still are completely like sports obsessed. We played every sport under the sun and, you know, ended up playing soccer. Although I would say basketball was our first love. But we stopped growing. And so it just like didn't make (laughs) sense. I'm like 5'4". I'm like, what school is going to take me at 5'4"? Yeah. So it became clear that like soccer was going to be our ticket out of Reading, which is a super small conservative town. And then, you know, to be able to get a college education. Both my parents weren't able to go to college. And so they very much, you know, instilled it in us that education is really important. So we, yeah, we went to the University of Portland on scholarship. And, you know, I played in Iceland for a little bit. I traveled the world coaching and doing humanitarian work and, you know, just kind of like trying to empower women and youth uh, using the platform of sport. My sister obviously still plays professionally. She's the pink haired lesbian goddess. Yeah, I think I've heard of her. (laughs) Yeah. Sue's girlfriend, right? (laughs) Yeah, Sue's girlfriend. (laughs) So then I went and got my master's. I had my master's in exercise science and had a training business here in Portland for like five or six years and trained elite soccer players, both from like the club and professional level. And then, you know, this opportunity with Mindy kind of came up where, you know, Cannabis obviously is a huge industry. It's been very restricted and we still have a long ways to go and hopefully it becomes federally legal. Yes. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of opportunity. There's also an opportunity as well to preserve and build this industry in a way that's, that's inclusive and like do it the right way, you know, around like a lot of other industries, whether it's the media industry, the fashion industry, like it excludes so many people. And, you know, we really, the cannabis industry was built on the backs of black and brown people. And those are the very people that have also been oppressed in this industry. And like, that's not right. That needs to change. We need to stop doing that in this country. And so our hope for Mindy is that we really become like a a leader in the industry and influential enough to like, to try and like push other companies to, to have ethical business and to like do it the right way, you know, and to like 
create an industry that's inclusive for people 50 to 100 years down the road. Um, so that was definitely a big motivating factor for Mindy. I hear of a lot of queer people that are kind of in the cannabis space, at least some of our listeners. Every once in a while, we get uh, an email from a listener that that works in cannabis and own some type of like edibles company or something like that. Do you find that the industry has kind of a disproportionate queer presence? Yeah. It's just like every other industry, like a lot, there are a lot of us women in it, a lot of people of color, a lot of LGBTQ community members, but the, but the ones that hold all the power are the ones with money and who has money, white men. Mm -hmm. So that is what needs to change. And, and so, you know, part of that is like when you raise money, make sure you have a diverse group of investors mm-hmm. yeah. um, because diversity brings about just better opinions, better thoughts. But yeah, I mean, you know, for a long time, cannabis was just like, you know, it was, it's, it was the wild, wild west. And so I think a lot of people who maybe like didn't feel welcomed in other jobs or other industries, like found a family in cannabis. Cause it really, you know, like the OG cannabis people like Kendra Freeman, my co-founder, I mean, I'm definitely more, I came from the sports world, right? So like she kind yeah. of So I'm not, I'm the first one to say that, like, I have so much to learn about the history of cannabis, Um, but she's an OGer and she, I mean, she's like incredible. And I think a lot of people find comfort in people like Kendra. So, you know, I think it's pretty diverse, but again, it's like, it's all about, you know, equal distribution of of equity and and capital that is really make a difference. And when you talk about things being equitable, going back to sports, as we all know, it is like not even close to being equitable for men and women in sports across all different kinds of like, do you happen to know which sport has the most parody or tennis tennis? Yeah. Oh yeah. And and that was only sort of, I mean, Serena had a fight to get, yeah, she had a fight though to get paid the same prize money at Wimbledon. And that was not that long ago, 2007. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So Venus was the first, you know, pioneer for equality in tennis. But yeah, I mean, I I think tennis is truly the only other sport that is equally invested in. And then where the women are paid equal because you can't have one without the other. You can't just like pay women the same amount as men unless you invest in a sport and it can generate revenue and then you can pay them. Right. So it's like that is definitely something that needs to change in sports is these companies, these brands, these media companies, whatever the case may be, like you have to make the decision to invest in women if you want to get the return, you know, because mm-hmm. that's a big argument for them is like, well, the women's game doesn't generate as much money. Well, that's actually not true. There's a huge audience for it. And when you do invest in women and when you do give them a platform, people show up. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's been proven, but you have to do that work first before we can create an, a, an equal playing field in terms of like pay for them. Yeah. And it's been so obvious looking at soccer specifically, right, between the the men's soccer team, which didn't even qualify for the World Cup. Not good. <laughs> They're not good. Yeah. Uh, and then the women's soccer team, which is just regularly crushing it and getting mm-hmm. gold medals and, and World Cup championships and whatnot and lost a court case not too long ago mm-hmm. trying to fight for not just equal play, but equal playing conditions. Can you talk a little bit more? Yeah, it was, um, it was a lawsuit that they filed for discrimination based on sex. And yeah, I mean, part of it was the pay. And then, yeah, part of it was just like, 
the condition, the training conditions, the playing conditions, the way they're treated, the way they're, uh, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but essentially like they're just not given the same opportunities as men when, whether it's like negotiating contracts or, you know, opinions on coaches, like whatever it is, they're just across the board. They have not been treated the same. And so, but they did the, the, the judge in California dismissed the case, unfortunately, which is like another example of, you know, sexism Him not sure. thinking that they also didn't deserve that. So I don't think they're done fighting, though. I think there's going to be a next step for sure. Yeah. Where are the men in all this? Like, are there men out there that are fighting to help women? Or is it still kind of, uh, you know, when I think of like Battle of the Sexes, where the attitude of whatever his face who went against Billie Jean King was like, well, men are better, so we should get paid more. And not really coming to the defense of women athletes. Yeah. I mean, listen, there are some amazing men out there for sure that are fighting. I would say like in, in, you know, male basketball players specifically have been very vocal about their female counterparts and the need for there to be more investment and respect for them. And I don't really know what that's about. I don't know why like basketball tends to be like really united. And there are definitely some male soccer players that have stepped up and they tweeted things and, you know, they did show some support, but certainly not enough. Definitely not enough. I mean, we live in a patriarchal society and I think men are taught from a very young age that they are superior to women. And unless you are actively trying to unlearn that and learn something different, I think it is difficult for men to take themselves out of that, you know, perspective. Yeah. I feel like all of that and seeing that play out in professional sports can be really discouraging to younger athletes who, I I don't know. I mean, I guess I I wasn't, you know, I I played a little bit of softball, but I was by no means uh, an athlete. (laughs) But for people who, you know, are, are really talented and go to college on scholarships, like, I imagine it has the effect that a lot of women think this is always just going to be a hobby. I can never make this a sustainable career. Those words are damaging. U.S. soccer literally said men are bigger, stronger and faster. And that was just on headlines everywhere. And the messaging is just... Yeah. Damaging. Yeah, it is damaging. And that was definitely something that Megan and, and press and everyone else that, you know, was on the, the PA fighting the, the lawsuit said is like, this does so much harm to not just young female players, but to young male players too, because mm-hmm. this view is not right. And this view has been very dangerous for our society. And it's created very big problems, not just on like the male female front, but obviously as we're seeing on like the racial front too, like it is very, very destructive to think that you're better than someone else because you're a man or because you're white or because you're straight. Yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately companies still reinforce that thought and the U S soccer federation has not done a very good job of Mm -hmm. not reinforcing that. I mean, they have a new president now, Cindy Parlow, who's a female and, and, you know, she's made some calls to my sister and has apologized for certain things, but ultimately like, wow, what a call to make. (laughs) Yeah. I, I listened to something yesterday. I forget. She's like a neuroscience PhD major. She's like this badass rock climber. She's this beautiful black woman. I'm totally blanking on her name, but I listened to this, this, um, Instagram video that she was saying yesterday. And she said, she's like, I don't care about 
intention. I care about action and impact. It doesn't really matter what your intention is if it's not backed up by impact. And so that's something that like, hopefully we're going to see with us soccer. It's great that they fired their president and got a new female president. It's great that she's reached out to Meg, but like, what is your impact going to be? Because that really is all that matters. Like it doesn't matter if your intention wasn't to hurt the female game or wasn't to discriminate against women, Mm -hmm. which obviously they did. It's your, it's your actions that matter. And I say that for everyone, you know, for all companies out there, because we need to do better. We definitely need to do better. That's the theme of this year. I hope the, at least the revolutionary spirit of 2020, like the one good thing (laughs) coming from the last few months translates to that fight as well. Yeah, totally. And it's tough because, you know, like men, men hold the power because they have the money and money is power in this country, which obviously like is really unfortunate, but the trick is like, you know, how do we get men on board without hurting their ego? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, That's like the big obstacle. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how do we get them on board? Because obviously like for us, well, I don't know about you guys. I won't speak for you, but like, I'm furious. Like I'm tired of white straight men. I'm tired of their ego. I'm tired. Uh, of you came to the right podcast. Us. Yeah. yeah like, I'm tired <laughs> of it. Like you should know better. It's like, why does it have to be our job to teach you yeah. the right way to do things or the right way to view the world or to be on the right side of history. Like if you don't know what the right side of history is, why? Yeah. You know, yeah. but you know, it's like, we have to be patient with them. We can't just go around like, Argh. so it's like, how do we get more men on board? Because ultimately like we need them on board. I don't, I, I don't have the answer to that. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I wish I had the answer, but, uh, the men that I've been engaging in, uh, Facebook discussions, uh, all end with calling me sweetheart. Like they think that's, uh, some sick burn to, yeah. <laughs> to put me in my place. But <laughs> are you ready to shop? Rakuten's big give week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I was trying to think, too, like, for queer women in sports, I think there is a very, obviously, a a large presence of queer women in in professional sports and Mm -hmm. how the inequality impacts them differently because it's like women... Maybe this is a stretch, but women already earn less money when compared to men. And then if you're a queer or let's say like a a lesbian, so your your partner is not a man. So you don't have that other opportunity for income, I guess, or for that, that high income. So I feel like queer professionals are probably even more impacted by the disparity. Is that a crazy Mm -hmm. thing to think? No, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, I think like, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but logically discrimination exists for anyone, you know, who's not like white and straight. Yeah. Obviously much more largely for, you know, black communities and people of color for sure. But yeah, like there's no doubt that like discrimination exists for sure. And men still make 87 cents to the dollar for white women. Um, obviously it's less for women of color and yeah, like that needs, you're right. Like that needs to change, you know, how can we just take all their money? (laughs) I know. know. That's such a good example you brought up, but then my first like example I went to in my head was Megan and Sue. And I'm like, I can't, I feel like they're <laughs> they're in a different, but that's getting the exception. Money. Yeah. yeah. Like that's not the rule, unfortunately. So yeah. that's the problem yeah. is that we want to celebrate excellence like that, you know, mm-hmm. in society, gay excellence, female excellence, black excellence. Like we want to celebrate that. But what we need to remember is like, that's, that is totally the exception. It's not the rule. Yeah. Yeah. And they've had to fight too for like every dime and they're still totally underpaid for their you know when you compare them to their male counterparts right like megan i mean pelusic do you guys know pelusic like the biggest name in in men's u.s soccer right now yeah he signed a 70 million dollar deal with chelsea he has not played in one world cup I mean, he, I don't even know how many cats he has or goals because there's so few compared to like Megan and Tobin and press and Carly Lloyd and like, but yeah, he just signed a $70 million deal. And, you know, Meg is a two-time world cup champion, uh, Olympic gold medalist. She has over a hundred caps. I don't even know how many goals she just won, you know, golden boot, golden Mm -hmm. ball. You know, it's like they're fighting to make like $500,000, which don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money, but She's way better at her job than so many male soccer players. And Sue is way better at her job than so many male basketball players. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they are making a lot, but they should be making way more. Yeah. And and then you look at like hetero athlete relationships where then that woman is also getting to share in like the rewards of her her male partner and Mm -hmm. benefit a little bit more from that where again, like two women are like, both of them are getting screwed. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like Julie and Zach Ertz. I mean, he, Julie Ertz plays for the U S women's national team. Like she makes good money, probably the same or a little less as May. And then her husband, Zach plays for the Eagles. So it's like, he makes like (laughs) tens of millions of dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. But hopefully, I mean, I, you know, I think again, like a driving force, like for me, 
I absolutely want to be on the right side of history. I wouldn't necessarily call myself an advocate, you know, like Megan, my sister's an advocate. She wants to like speak out. I'm much more reserved and I'm definitely much more of like an action oriented person. So like, like I want to build companies that create equitable landscapes and that equally invest in, in men and women and people of color. And, you know, so that's like how I see change. Like for me, that's how I can, can impact. And so hopefully with Mindy, you know, again, like if all goes well and this pandemic doesn't kill us, um, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I, yeah, I just hope for Mindy to be a wildly successful company that is paving the way to how you can like truly create an inclusive environment and, you know, having like equity and equality at your core in every decision that you make. So I think that's a lot of things that companies get stuck on is like, well, we haven't been doing it for 50 years or 40 <laughs> years, whatever. So it's like, how do we just start doing this now? You know? Right. And it's not easy for sure, because there's really not a lot of other companies that have like paved the way, but ultimately it's a reckoning with yourself and it's a choice that you have to make to have diversity at your table. Yeah. Well, that's awesome that that you're doing that work. And I wish more people went into business with that kind of mentality, because, yeah, when you're when you're starting something out, that's when you set your values and your mission. And that's kind of like what guides you. And it is hard for companies to just pivot and all of a sudden be like, oh, we haven't been. doing this for a while. Yeah. And, and even, even organizations like Melody, what's it called? Uh, heritage pride. Oh, heritage of pride. They, that's yeah. their formal name, but they're nonprofit. They NYC pride is what they're registered under. They do the pride festivities and parade in New yeah. York. Even a group that you would think would be like inclusive and progressive is facing its own reckoning right now and having to it just today publicly like apologized on Instagram and saying that, you know, that they're going to reflect on all of the the criticism that they've been getting for years. Oh, and, really? Oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. For years, people have been saying like, no, no cops at Pride. And they've been ignoring that. And then also the uh, preference and priority given to corporations at Pride and the community is left literally at the back of the line. And Mm. it just costs so much money to be visible at New York Pride and all that Mm -hmm. visibility goes to like the big banks and the big companies and people have been yeah urging for at least for them to partner with smaller grassroots causes, bring them more to the front of the parade. They literally get stuck behind because it's just a couple thousand dollars to have a float in the back. Meanwhile, it's like it could be up to like six figures to have a parade in the front. Yeah, a lot of people are complaining this year. They remember that we don't cooperate with police and that's the whole point of pride. Instead, they give them a whole float every year. Oh, they do? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's not. Oh, so it's, that. it's not that just that they're like allowing police to be a part of it. Is that no, they celebrate them. <laughs> yeah. And, and every year there's a group of protesters that kind of stop the parade by protesting the police and end up getting arrested like in front of everybody and it stops everything. And then everybody's all frustrated and annoyed with these protesters who are trying to like bring it back to its roots. But it it just goes to show that even organizations that you think should be doing the right thing can sometimes be led astray and follow money. So I think it takes that kind of commitment that you're talking about up front and to be very public about it so that you're, you're held accountable yeah. and, and making sure that you're going about things in a way that helps the people who, who need it most. 
Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like we're going to make mistakes. We're definitely not on a high horse. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say the wrong thing. I'd like to think we're not going to make any wrong hires, but I doubt that too. You know, I mean, I think like as long as you're willing to learn and as long as you're open to unlearning and then relearning, um, I think that's like the most important thing. But yeah, I mean, that's coming to the table with like the right heart and the right mentality, I think is so important, especially in the beginning. A lot of people, you know, like have startups and like want to be in this business because A, they think it's sexy when really it's not. It's like so fucking hard and you're like (laughs) in the trenches all the time. But, you know, it's, I think a lot of people like just want to make a lot of money and that shouldn't be the ultimate goal. Hopefully, like hopefully we all want to build a better world for people, you know? Yeah. I mean, at least that's like the goal for Mindy. And it's it's like about what, what can we do for our community and how can we create an environment that is comfortable and is exciting to work at and, you know, people like want to work at it. And hopefully, you know, obviously we have to make money along the way. Like that is a goal, yeah. <laughs> but um, shouldn't be like the ultimate goal. I don't think there's, there's yeah. just like more to life than, than money. Just but. need that like original intention going into it. And yeah. I also love that you're like breaking the stigma with cannabis like I like cannabis and sports, mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea of them existing in the yeah. same thought. Yeah, totally. I have a cousin who has really bad anxiety and just started using CBD and she can't, she's just always been a very like goody goody, like follow all the rules. She's still struggling with the fact that she's like, she thinks she's like doing drugs when her therapist <laughs> told her to take CBD. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. There's so much negative stigma around cannabis that needs to just go away. Yeah, I know. Well, that is a result of the government for sure. Mm-hmm. And propaganda. But hemp derived CBD is federally legal. Hemp is legal. So just yeah. if it's hemp, tell your cousin she's good. Yeah. <laughs> Not breaking any federal rules. And I think is New York can it had did you guys pass can, uh recreational cannabis or is it still only no. medical? Still only medical. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think it I know I can't remember. I know it's like on the ballot. It's like close. But I don't know. I do it every day, but I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but you're not walking into a store and buying it. No. So I'm gonna yeah. say, yeah, no, it's still not here. Yeah, it's no. just medical. And, yeah. and they made the medical like very, very hard to that oh, kind really? of became yeah, that became a little bit of a scam. It felt like there were certain doctors that you could go to and then you'd have to pay like $200 or something for them to give you your card. And it was like huh. this flat fee. I don't know. It, w- it was a whole racket. I think it might be getting a little bit better now. I was trying to get my wife to get it. Yeah. Chicago recently yeah. made it legal and yeah, looks like it's already like booming. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a pretty booming industry. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know why they're not legalizing the whole Seriously. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And making it easy for people to bank. Like everyone's going to make money, the more free this industry is. So I really, I don't understand the restrictions or like the intention behind the instruction in uh, so restrictions. many jobs. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Going back to something you mentioned earlier that I want to dive into. I want to hear more about your time in Iceland. Oh man. Iceland's rad. Yeah. I went, I played over there in 2010. So it was like, it was just before it got like really popular and sexy to visit Iceland. So it was still like, it really did, huh? Yeah. It was like still, it was right after um, they had like their huge banking crisis in like 2007, 2008. So they were like kind of still recovering from that. It it was still like pricey. 
Iceland's so expensive. It's like hard to get drunk there because it's so expensive. <laughs> really? That's what I hear. It, it's like yeah. cheap to get there. Like there was a yeah, time I'm seeing all flights, these $70 flights. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. really cheap. And then once yeah. you get there, that's when. Super expensive. That's when they get you. Yeah. But it's fun. I mean, I love Scandinavian culture and the landscape is so interesting and dynamic because it's like the land of fire and ice. And yeah. it's just, it's gorgeous. Pretty much everyone speaks English, which is wonderful because Icelandic is a very difficult language yeah. to learn. It's like a compilation of like five different languages. So I think I walked away in the three months I lived there only knowing like five words <laughs> one of them was cheers which is skull <laughs> um but no it yeah. was cool I mean it was you know I was 25 I was broke as shit they put us up in these like dope brand new studio apartments and there's three of us Americans because at the time I don't know what it's like now but in European leagues you could only have three Americans on one team at a time mm. huh. so there's three of us Americans we all lived in these brand new studio apartments they gave us a car and a phone like we were living it up we and like clubs stayed open till like 7 a.m. So we would just party and dance our faces off all night, get home at 7:30, sleep all day, because we always had training at 5:30 p.m. Because because okay. all the Icelanders worked all day or went to school. And that was like pretty much like three or four nights a week. That was what we did. We'd party, sleep all day, wake up at 4:30, and then go to training at 5:30. It was so unhealthy and <laughs> I don't like I could never do it now, but it was really fun for sure. It sounds like a good way to spend your 20s. I feel yeah. like yeah. 20s is just uh, unhealthy choices, a lot of partying, but also a lot of hard work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were there like queer bars? Yeah. I don't know about the queer scene in Iceland. <laughs> yeah. No, there definitely, there was. I mean, at the time in 2010, I was out and I was open. I actually ended up dating some, another American. You know, I had very small odds of, of finding someone there and I ended up finding an American and we dated the whole time, which was funny. But I think like, it was still pretty taboo to come out. And yeah. so it was, people didn't really like talk about their sexuality. There was a couple of girls on a couple of Icelanders on the team that were gay or bi, but like, and were like really interested in me coming out and like how I did that. But they just, I don't know. It, it was still like very uncomfortable to do, but yeah, we went to a couple gay bars and they joined us. And I think that they really admired like how out I was. Cause I just like, didn't hold back at all. Like I was, I was definitely gay. I loved women. I was coming from LA too. I was, I lived in LA oh. train there and then uh, <laughs> played in ice and then went back to LA. So yeah, I think I, I remember getting our host mom had a couple kids and she had an older daughter, has an older daughter and I got an email from my host mom a couple months after I got back from Iceland. I was living in LA and she sent me this email and she's like, I just want to thank you so much because like, if it weren't for you, you know, getting to know our family and staying with us and just like being a part of the club, you know, my daughter would have never come out. And so her daughter actually like came out after I Aww. left. And so like, it's just, it was like sweet. You just never know That's the awesome. impact you're going to make on someone. And like me playing in Iceland was so random. Yeah. But ultimately, like, I think at least I know, like, it had a little bit of an impact, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And talk about how you got to that point where you were out and proud. Because you said you grew up in a conservative right. in Reading, mm -hmm. which is more yeah. conservative. And also, just because it's such a fun, a fun fact that you and your twin sister are both queer, yeah, I know. It is really funny. I was trying to think of other like queer twins who are famous besides like 
Besides you two Tegan and Tegan and Sarah. and Sarah. And then I was like, oh, the Property Brothers, but they're not gay. Did you know that? <laughs> oh, I think not- I assumed. Yeah, I thought one of them was. They're both not gay? No, they're, they're both just straight. metro. Yeah, they're just wow. super metro and Canadian, I guess. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, we grew up in a conservative town and we also grew up in a very like Christian town in a Christian household. And so, you know, my journey was definitely a lot more bumpy and rougher and painful than Meg's. When Meg went to college, she pretty much, you know, which as soon as she got to Portland, because Portland's very queer and very open and yeah. So as soon as she got here, she was like, oh, my God, I'm gay. And this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's actually writing a book. And her her writer was like, in the 30 years that I've been writing autobiographies or, or just books in general, I've literally never heard anyone have a coming out story like that. Because Meg literally was like, I'm gay and this is awesome. <laughs> she just immediately like, knew that the uncomfortable feelings that she had had her whole life, like that was why. You yeah. Know? yeah. I wonder how much Portland played in <laughs> yeah. <into> that. <laughs> I think it had a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas for me, I definitely like didn't feel connections with the boys that I dated through high school and stuff. But I, I don't know. I think I was just like such a strong Christian and you just like, you know, you oppress a lot of feelings. And I knew I felt different. And like, I remember having crushes on girls in high school, but certainly like we didn't attach any language to it. Sure. Yeah. In the household or anything like that. But I, I dated a few women in college. I started dating someone like right away in college, but still like, I just called her my best friend. You know, like we didn't, <laughs> we, we weren't together. We were still going on dates with men, but like we dated for over a year. I, yeah. I think I just really struggled. I was still going to church in college and like, they were praying over me and basically like pray the gay away. And, um, wow. yeah. And like my mom had a tough time with it for sure. Like the first five or six years when we came out at 19, she didn't take it well, but I think she was just, she just didn't want us to like have a harder life than we needed to, you know, like she had a rough life. She grew up in poverty and just like, she was one of eight and they were just poor and their dad was an alcoholic and abusive. And so I think she just like, didn't want us to experience any hardships and she's just a total like lioness. And so she's really protective over her kids. But yeah, when I graduated college and moved back down to California, that was kind of when I realized like, man, I'm gay and I need to just like, I need to just move on with it because this has really been a struggle and really been like torturous for me, you know, like all through college. And I finally, I had a couple friends who, a couple like high school friends, I moved back to Reading for a year because I had to get a couple of really like intensive knee surgeries and it took about a year to recover. And after college, we all moved back to Reading together. And it was oddly enough, like during that year in Reading, hanging with my two best high school friends, they just both like, you know, really made me talk about being gay and talk about in a way that was like normal. And when we'd go out to bars and like men would come up to me, they'd be like, she's a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause like I couldn't say it. Like I needed them to say it. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. And like, they really helped me just totally like come to grips with it and be comfortable with it and call myself a lesbian and tell other people that I'm a lesbian and like yeah. And then that, when I was 24, it finally just, it all just slowly kind of clicked. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I know. Did you come out at the same time? Yeah, basically. I mean, Megan, Megan was like, I like girls. And then I told her, so it basically like my, our, my freshman year, I dated this girl for a year, but it was totally hush hush. And during that time, so I hit it from Meg, I hit it from everyone. During that time, Meg was like, also having crushes on girls, but not talking to me about it. Cause she didn't know what I would say. And I didn't know what she would say. 
So basically going into our sophomore year or like midway through our sophomore year, we finally like came out to each other. And I was like, I have something to tell you. I've been dating this girl for a year. And she's like, oh my God, I'm gay too. That's awesome. <laughs> and then it was like, God, so why didn't we cute. tell each other sooner? You know, but yeah. yeah, we kept it a secret for about a year. Did you ever suspect it? Like, do you yes. think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew for sure that she was definitely. Yeah. I think a lot of people were surprised about me. Cause like now I have short hair and I, I look more gay, but, but back then, like I had, I just, I was like really, you know, trying to hold on to like my straight feminine look. And I had like long hair and I wore like very feminine clothes still, uh, still a tomboy, but like, I, yeah, I think a lot of people were just a little bit more surprised about me, but when May came out, I think everyone in the family was like, mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. My older sister used to call me a lesbian all the time, but like as an insult. And hey, then me she, too. My yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> and then when she found out I was gay, she was like, what? I'm like, I thought you knew him. That's why you were yeah. calling me that the whole time. Oh, geez, man. Uh, it's an sister. insult too. That's funny. It's like, I think it's like the greatest compliment. Right, right. Yeah, now it is. We, yeah. we have people who are a little bit uncomfortable with the name of the podcast because they're like, isn't that an insult? I'm like, oh, no, please call me a dyke. I'm so proud <laughs> to be one. It's the best thing. That's how I identify. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. What are some ways you think that people can get more involved to help kind of raise everybody up and get that kind of equality that we're striving for? Like, what are, what are some little things that anybody can do if they're not, you know, a pro athlete or yeah. don't have a recognizable name? Well, I think I'm, I'm definitely going to like steal a little bit of Megan Sue's speech from the ESPYs. I don't know if you guys watched that. Yes. I loved that. Yeah. Like basically, you know, first you got to, you got to listen and learn. I mean, we have some major problems in the infrastructure of this country, whether it's policy, whether it's medical, whether it's our education system, our corporate America, it does not include everyone. And if you don't know that, or don't believe that, if you still don't believe that men, men are getting paid more than women or that people of color are getting incarcerated at a higher rate than white people, like you, that's just false. And you need to educate yourself. Um, we've all been whitewashed in Mm -hmm. our American education system. And so there is like a little bit of just like your own personal and individual due diligence that you need to do and to to be able to come to the table. If you want to have these conversations, you got to make sure that like you come to the table um, with a little bit of like education that you've done yourself. That that's really like important. Um, and not to lean on your gay friends or your black friends or your brown friends to like educate for you, you know? Yes. So like you have to have a reckoning and you got to do some education yourself. And then the second thing, and like what Meg was saying in her speech is not everyone has the same lane, you know, like Meg has 2 million followers and she's a global icon and she loves speaking out about things that is like so far from who I am and like mm-hmm. what my natural comfort level is like, I'm definitely much more reserved and I I'm much more private too. And so I'd rather just kind of like be a little bit more behind the scenes, like chipping away at like things in my community or, you know, like building this business or doing other things that are a little bit more like grassroots oriented. That's, That's like where my passion is. So I think find your lane, whatever it is, it can be so many different things. There are so many different ways that people in this country can make an impact to move the needle for equality. Yeah. And every lane is so important too. So, you know, it's, it's like, 
Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you, I guess you just got to kind of take a look at your life and like where you can make the most impact. And if it's like, you know, doing some volunteer work or like even just like having conversations with people of color, like your black neighbor or whatever, you know, like that is so important too, because I think part of it is like people, well, now I'm, I'm on my soapbox now, but like, it's great to post <laughs> on Instagram, but that doesn't really ignite change. Like I think a lot of a lot of marginalized or disenfranchised groups of people in this world or communities, like they don't feel heard just in their day-to-day life, you know? And so it's important to like talk to them and recognize them and like acknowledge them just like in your day-to-day life, support black owned businesses, support LGBTQ owned businesses, show up for, you know, uh, protests. Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of a long-winded answer, but educate yourself and then like find your lane. And, yeah. and just like make an impact in your lane. I love the idea of lanes because they're all headed to the same destination. Yeah. important. Yes. Love a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachel, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Well, you, you just said me. you're a private person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they don't have to. <laughs> Guys, leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. I do have a Wikipedia account. Uh, no, you can you know, follow me at, at rrapino on Instagram. I don't tweet. Good. Stay off Twitter. Yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a tweeter. I'm weaning myself off. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, is it? I've never done it. I don't know why. It, it always so un- makes me sad. It's so there. unhealthy. It's like really ruined my mental health. So I would advise oh, against wow. it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to follow what I'm doing and what Mindy's doing, you can go to themindyco.com. Awesome. Rachel, thank you so much for taking out with us. Thank you. Thanks for letting me dike out. I yes. appreciate that. It's fun to dike out. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, we hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Rachel Rapino. What a cool person making moves, doing cool things and impacting change. Yes. Yes. Truly a daikon, I would say. Yeah. You guys couldn't see her, but she wore a hat that said go gays. She had a rainbow shirt. She had a pit bull mix in the room with her during the interview. Just that 100% dyke energy that we love to see. And that makes our Zoom subscription worth it. Yes. Uh, (laughs) That was fun. I think, though, we should probably get to our listener question of the week. Let's do it. This week's listener question really focuses on, you know, a true dung brain in every sense of the <laughs> And it goes a little something like this. What are your thoughts on J.K. Rowling's transphobia? And what's your advice to Harry Potter fans who are shocked and don't know how to handle this? Well, we have well, lots of thoughts and... So does our editor of this podcast, uh, Lauren, who has multiple Harry Potter tattoos. So I thought that I should uh, check in with her to see how she's feeling, because there there are a lot of different ways to think about this. And, uh, you know, J.K. Rowling has really committed herself to uh, taking this position which most of us would call a uh, turfy. She doesn't see it as being turfy. She honestly thinks that she's providing some great service uh, while being completely ignorant and in denial of the harm that her words 
cause. So we don't have to recap everything terrible that she has said or everything that's problematic, but she does say a lot of stuff that denies, like saying that a lot of people who are trans maybe aren't really trans and focusing on a very like extreme small portion of trans advocates and thinking that those most extreme views represent all of the community or pose some type of large threat to womanhood when they don't. And it's basically just fear-mongering against trans activism and trans rights and making it seem that trans rights come at the expense of women's rights. So that's kind of like the base for what's going on. Do you have anything to add to that, Melody? It's just wild to see her continue to double down and tweet. And it looks like, I don't know if you saw that one tweet about someone called her a turf. Many people did. And she was like, turf, feminazi. It's just another name. You know, she's lumping anti-turfness now with misogyny, which is crazy because ultimately if she is anti-trans, she's literally woman hating. If she's anti-trans woman, yeah. that is misogyny. So Right. And she thinks that she's not being anti-trans because I think there are a couple of trans women in her life who have validated her her views. So Lord knows how how close they really are to her or how many conversations they've had, but it seems like she's kind of right. tokenizing them to defend her point of view, which again can be very harmful. And she's just wrong about a lot of things. She's And, and when I, I finally went and took the time and, oh boy, I guess some, someone had to do it, read that stupid medium essay that she wrote. And there are some things in it where you're like, yeah, okay. Like, I think she's being like overly dramatic about this. And then it goes like off the rails hard when she starts talking about the idea of like cis men just saying that they're women so they can go into to bathrooms and it's like cis men who want to go into women's bathrooms not being trans isn't what's stopping them from going into those bathrooms like if there are predators who want to go into bathrooms they're going to go into bathrooms <laughs> like yeah. they're doing that already they're uh, sorry to if you don't know about this but many go in there already and set up cameras and in, in bathrooms always you know be be aware of your surroundings <laughs> but like i don't know anybody who has ever been uh, hassled by a trans person in a bathroom. It's trans people who are being hassled and harassed and their safety mm -hmm. is put at risk. So for her to act like she's the victim when she has personally never been you know, harassed in person or in, or in a bathroom by a, a trans person and then using her abuse in the past, which I'm, you know, I'm sorry that she was uh, abused and that's very sad and terrible, but then to use that to justify her anger around using language like a person who menstruates instead of saying a woman so that we include trans men in the dialogue, like, why does that bother you? It's just being more inclusive. And she's saying that that dehumanizes women. Well, that's such a, an extreme position and it's a mess. But the yeah. question is, what do you do if you're a Harry Potter fan and a big Harry Potter fan? And I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. I'm a casual Harry Potter fan, but I have been to Harry Potter world. I have read the books. My ex-wife was very into Harry Potter and I was trying to, to relate. So I, I did the work and you know, I, I was such a good wife, by the way. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I read all those damn books. 
I didn't have to. They're big. Yeah, they're big. <laughs> the The movies were good enough for me, but then I, I read the books to try to be a better wife anyway. <laughs> Is that why you got divorced? She was like, I'm going to need you to read Magical Creature. What's right. another <laughs> Like, I feel like as somebody who's not a Harry Potter fan, this is why I want to talk to to Lauren, who has, like, the tattoos and and whatnot, because I feel like I'm not in a place to say, you need to cancel Harry Potter. You need to throw out your books. You can't enjoy Harry Potter anymore because J.K. Rowling is ignorant and she's using her platform in a really dangerous way unnecessarily because trans people they just want to be accepted and loved and not murdered and she is making that harder for them. And she does have a lot of influence because at first, you know, I was telling Lauren. So so Lauren, her personal stance is like she, she's over yeah. it. She's done with Harry Potter. She doesn't want any more of her money ever going into J.K. Rowling's pockets again. She's super disappointed in it. And like that, she just can't separate the two. And that. I, I was I was surprised because she had tattoos and I'm like, wow, that's really, you know, to be able to to do that and draw that line and be like, no, I'm not going to support this because some people. Yeah. But my point of view was I was like, J.K. Rowling's so rich. Like if you don't watch the TBS marathon of Harry Potter movie, you know, I don't. <laughs> she's fine. Yeah, she's fine. But Lauren said that that was kind of a defeatist attitude which I think is is also fair and if you want her to kind of get the message not supporting her financially is one way to do it and Lauren had a great idea that if you do still love Harry Potter there are a lot of creators and fans who make stuff like on Etsy like buy your wands on Etsy like don't buy official Harry Potter merch buy the stuff that that fans are creating and you'll be putting money in a much more diverse group's pockets and that's going to be a lot more helpful and I really like that so Lauren's so smart that's why she's the only person I trust at this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) She's great. You know, and then we were also talking about, because I was also like, it sounds like JK Rowling's views came about in the past few years. And then when she explains how they came about, it's very bizarre. I I don't know. The whole thing is so bizarre that, that she's really choosing this sword to fall on. But, uh, it's not like she was overtly, an outspoken transphobic person and then wrote Harry Potter through that lens. Whereas I know I've mentioned before that I really enjoyed Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass throughout my life. And then I found out that Lewis Carroll, recently. Yeah, I found out really recently because I wasn't like that big of a Alice in Wonderland head or <laughs> I wasn't a mad hatter. I don't know what, what you oh. call those fans. But I recently learned, thanks to uh, a Susan June, that uh, that Lewis Carroll was most likely a pedophile and was actually obsessed with a real-life young family friend, a young girl named Alice. That ruins it for me, right? Then that makes it a lot more creepy. So Harry Potter is different in that way. But I think how much you want to cancel someone, I do think it's like a personal decision. You know, I know a lot of my black friends who still want to like the the Cosby show and we've had big discussions about that and I'm like yeah that that's your choice I can't tell you <laughs> to you know 
I think that if you really are upset by it, if you want to, it's hard to change people's minds, but you know, it happens once in a, a blue moon. JK Rowling is getting attacked a lot. And a lot of people are telling her on Twitter to, to choke on a trans dick or to choke on a bag of dicks. Like oh. really stuff that, that isn't helpful because then she screenshots that and tweets it. And then it furthers along her victim narrative. And, right. and her problem is that she's one of the richest white women on the planet and she feels like a victim of trans people which is <laughs> banana pants so Who she is actually victimizing she is so used to being so universally adored yeah and now when her anti-trans comments come under scrutiny and there's backlash she is clearly not used to any kind of backlash. Like right. everyone loved Joanne Kathleen Rowling <laughs> so much. Now she feels victimized and now she's obsessed and she's obsessed with justifying her stances and we're only feeding into that by tweeting choke on a trans dick. That's not helpful in any way. I'm only helping her case. Yeah. So I think, but she says she's getting an overwhelming amount of emails from women who are relieved that she's speaking up for them. Well, maybe she needs more emails that are in, in the other light and just saying, Hey, I'm, you know, I used to be a really big fan of Harry Potter. It meant so much to me, but what you're doing and how you're using your platform is so disappointing and it's harmful for trans people. And these are the reasons why. And maybe if she gets enough of those that approach it from a way that, that she can't feel like a victim, maybe that would help or just don't buy her stuff anymore she yeah. says she's working on a new novel don't buy it there are better novels out there <laughs> check out something by uh, black author queer not authors. problematic creator <laughs> yeah <laughs> so those are some some things you can do it's okay if if you liked harry potter at one point in your life that meant a lot to you that's okay you you weren't a horrible person for liking that all of this is coming out now uh it's kind of new you know there there are other people and better people to support better people involved with harry potter too yes. like without harry potter and its universe we would have never gotten emma watson who is a very vocal trans rights activist. Yes. You know, there's it's she's not the end all be all for the Harry Potter universe. The actor who played Cho Chang on Harry Potter recently tweeted, now that all these anti-JK Rowling tweets are coming up, do you want to know my opinions or what it was like to work on Harry Potter? And that was a link to donations <laughs> for Black Lives Matter. <laughs> so well played. <laughs> But, you know, sorry to, to all the Potterheads out there who are disappointed. It really sucks when people that you look up to or who meant a lot to you at some point. But I'd like to think that it wasn't J.K. Rowling herself who meant a lot to you. It was this world that right. that she created, which, of course, is an extension of her. It's unfortunate. And all we can hope is that she, she comes around and tries to undo some of the damage that she has done in the trans community. I think you're totally right. And I guess my advice moving forward in a general sense is watch Disclosure. Yes. <laughs> no, I really wish that this had come out during production on the Netflix documentary Disclosure. And I would have loved to see what the speakers on that documentary would have had to say. But yeah. I don't know. I just think everyone should watch Disclosure while we're on this topic. Yeah. Thank you for the question. And thank you to Lauren, our editor. Yes. Thank you, Lauren. Forever grateful for 
your wisdom and <laughs> everything. Anyway, if you have questions, you can send us an email, dykingout at gmail.com, or if it's more pressing, wizio at wisio.com slash dykingout, and you will get a video recorded response. You can follow us on social media at dykingout on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can follow me at TGI Carolyn on all those platforms. And guess what? You can follow me at Melody Kamali. Thank you so much for diking out with us this week. We hope you join us again next week for another very, very fun episode that we're very excited about. Yes, stay tuned and we will see you diking otters later. Be kind to one another. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Noah Daniels, one of the hosts of the Real Hauntings, Real Ghost Stories podcast, and I want to introduce you to the perfect podcast to get you through spooky season. Find out what happens when three skeptics who want to believe in the paranormal interview people about their horrifying experiences. Again, that's the Real Hauntings, Real Ghost Stories podcast. Now on to the trailer. I've been warned to not tell this story, but I think because of the way it ends, it's okay to tell this story. Because some people say that with certain entities to like speak of them or talk about them or in any way portray them as powerful will attract them to other people. The creepiest thing about it to me is a lot of times it would wait for me to notice it. It would just lay its arm out like this and then I'd be like, where is it? Where is it? And then I'd see it and then it would just slither back. Make sure you hear the rest of that episode. It's called Devin's Demons. Again, that's the Real Hauntings, Real Ghost Stories podcast available every Monday everywhere you can download podcasts.